Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for the time in your word. Grateful for how our thoughts are changed because of what your apostles taught. We'd ask that you would keep us humble in that regard. In your son's name, amen. Um, it's hard when you've been preaching for... I have a, a lineup of notebooks little one-inch white notebooks that have sermon notes for a year. And I have the year, you know, written on the side, says sermon notes, and the, and the shelf is like this long. So it goes from 1998. What year is this? That's what, almost... 18 years? 18 years? Okay. I had preached before that, but I didn't keep any track of what I said. So, but, so it all starts to blur. And I knew, but I knew, I was in a conversation recently, and I brought up Hebrews 6. Because um, I knew I'd just been in Hebrews 6, and this morning I was looking at Hebrews 7, which we are in this morning. I said, okay, I better find out when I was in Hebrews 6 so I can bring it to mind for you. And it was, it was Halloween, All Hallows, actually, the day after Halloween, November 1st, this last year. Uh, we went through all of 6, and addressed a bunch of uh, those sticky issues that are there. Um, in chapter 6, here up on the left, top of the left-hand side, it says in verse 19, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. It mentioned that phrase a couple times earlier in the chapter. Um, see if I can get my Bible to that place quickly. I think it... Uh, um, end of chapter 5, actually. Um, yeah, 510, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, quoting out of Psalms. Um, now, part of what Romans, uh, not Romans, what Hebrews 6 was about was you guys should have been growing into deeper things. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 6, about this we have much to say which is hard to explain. Now the very fact that you might have heard of Melchizedek before or even read this chapter and gone, what in the world? Why? Then you go look up Melchizedek in the Old Testament and you go, what? Doesn't help you out at all. But there's much to say that is hard to explain. Now, it can't be supposed that in a short sermon that everything is going to be explained. But something, as I was reading through this section, because I had wanted to go on to Hebrews 7 at some point close to, you know, within a quarter of a year. The Hebrews 6 passage we went through a little bit ago. I was looking at it going, what... Apart from the mysteries, and there are mysteries here, what's the front-loaded thing that's big, important, you should take away from this no matter what? 
that you could talk with confidence about Melchizedek because what's on the surface, in the front, what you should know, has been addressed. Well, that's what we want to do this morning. We want to begin that process of saying, this is where you have to stand in Hebrews 7. And it's the beginning of a growth in Christ that is going to be different than other kind of religious growth. He says in verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. That's the story out of Genesis. Tidily put, Abraham had rescued Lot, who had been captured by various kings of Babylon who had been raiding in the area, and he set those captives free, got a bunch of spoil, and, and uh, met Melchizedek on the way back, who was king of Salem. We're not sure that Salem is Jerusalem. A lot of people think so, but we're not sure. But he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't a Hebrew. Probably, well, we don't know what he was. But the writer of Hebrews is going to tell you, he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. Zedek is lord, or king, or ruler. That's what the word the name means. King of righteousness. And then, he is also king of Salem. That is, king of peace. He is without father or mother, or genealogy. We don't know where Melchizedek came from. We don't know what people group he is of. He has and has neither beginning of days nor end of life. An awful lot of people in the Old Testament, you'll say, and the days that he lived were 130 years and he bore many children and so forth. He doesn't have beginning of days or end of life. No parish recorded, no genealogy recorded, no lifespan recorded. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Now why does it say he continues a priest forever? Because that's the quote out of the Psalms. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The psalmist says that the nature of the order of priesthood in Melchizedekian terms is foreverness. And it looks a lot like Jesus Christ. He is king of righteousness. He is king of peace. Nothing genealogical to tie him to the priesthood. He continues a priest forever. Now verse 4 begins with a little red remark there. Again, I put that in. See how great he is. I put the red in. The words are in the Bible. See how great he is. Now you're supposed to be thinking something about this. Now that's what I want to encourage you this morning to do. First hurdle, I have to think something about this. You don't get to go, I'm out of here. I'll be thinking about, I know there's no football game this afternoon. It's a down week. Everybody's waiting for the Super Bowl, but 
No, I'm not going to think about this. No, you're going to think about this. You have to think about this. The writer of Hebrews is throwing this against the wall pretty hard. He has already reprimanded us in the previous passage for not going on to this stuff. Getting caught up in Jewish thought instead of Christian thought. See how great he is. Do you recognize how great he is? Because we, we more readily figure out out of the 300,000 people running for the Republican nomination um, who is our favorite. How great is, I don't know, I'm not going to say any names because who knows what you think. But you're trying to figure out how great so-and-so is. And of course all this feed comes through your Facebook channel talking about how awful, what a rat that guy is. And how wonderful, almost walking on water. Saw one the other day where Rubio claimed not to be Jesus Christ. I was grated, grateful. I was grateful. Because he's not. I'm supposed to make this judgment. I'm tempted to make it in politics. I'm tempted to make it regarding football teams. Get tempted to make it about Melchizedek. It's important to your faith. See how great he is. Abraham the patriarch gave him a tithe of the spoils. He's not just king of righteousness, king of peace, forever, amen, but the father of Hebraic being, the covenant of promise that went to Abraham, he, before Moses was born, Aaron was born, came to Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, and gave him a tenth of what he had. That's pretty big. No, and I'm, this is, you say, oh no. Not only a difficult sermon, but the word tithe was mentioned. And you say, has the church ordered those shiny plates that we pass around? No, we have not. This is not a tithing sermon. I know that puts you off, but this is a something else sermon. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes for the people, that is, from their brethren, though these also are descended from Abraham. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Old Testament history, but you have Abraham, you have Isaac, you have Jacob, you have the twelve sons of Jacob, okay, which include Levi. And out of the tribe of Levi, you had Aaron, and the priesthood developed. So one of the twelve great-grandsons of uh, Abraham, yeah, great-grandsons of Abraham, developed into the tribe of Levi, which became the priestly office, and they collected tithes from the rest of the Jewish people. Okay, got that? But this man who has not their genealogy received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So Melchizedek standing over here, living at a time that is, you might say, just prior to Abraham, enough that they overlap, has no connection to Levi, no connection to the Aaronic priesthood, no connection to the people who are supposed to collect tithes from the regular folks. 
And he says, it is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. It is beyond dispute. So if you're having to think, okay, Evan said I had to think something about this passage. There's a first place. You say, is it bold? It is beyond dispute. You're not allowed to argue about it. You could say, yes, I think I'm right, and I am more right than the writer of Hebrews. I am that right. You could get that kind of conceit going. But if you're a Christian, you're going, the writer of Hebrews is telling me something by the Holy Spirit that it is beyond dispute that a superior agent is blessed, is blesses the inferior agent. Beyond dispute. So something has, has to happen. Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. Abraham, who created Israel, uh, the, the, the Hebrews. He didn't create the Hebrews, he created the Jewish uh, line of descent. Here, tithes are received by mortal men. There, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. The psalmist says, he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He is testifying that he continues in existence because his priestly office continues in existence forever. So, what are you supposed to, you're supposed to do? These are the pieces you're supposed to pick up. Melchizedek's really important. I've already said in chapter 6 three times that Jesus Christ is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. How is that working into your life? Not like the LDS church that just says, you know, we have a different, we get to be priests of Melchizedekian priests, an ironic priest. They just sort of sling it about. We're not slinging it about. This is about Jesus Christ, not about you. It's not about you becoming a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You don't have the chops. I don't have the chops. There isn't a man on the planet that has what it takes. Because to begun, become one of the order, priests after the order of Melchizedek, I have to have these qualities to be a priest forever. So we know that Melchizedek is superior to Judaism. He blesses Abraham. And instead of giving your tithes to mortal men, these tithes were received by an immortal. But it was testified that he lives. He says, if you were to give, <coughs> and we're walking out the door, <coughs> and I know it's not a tithing sermon, but there's a box out there you could put money in, if you wanted. <coughs> that gift is a good thing to give, but it is not to the Melchizedekian priesthood. It is not to Melchizedek. But Abraham not only admitted his inferiority to Melchizedek, but he who received the tithe was an immortal. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. It's that simple. It's that direct. The writer of Hebrews is telling you, do you understand going down the line of, of I've got a, now a grandson on the earth Ian Henry and uh, he is less than me no he is not equal to me he is less I am his grandfather and he has 
I have a son who is his father. And his father is more important than Ian Henry. And I am more important than Graham. It follows reasoning closely. I am more important than Ian Henry. Now, if women are making the decision, that's not going to work out. Because women, I think, invert the cosmos. You hand them a baby. It is the most important thing ever. <laughs> Disregarding grandfathers, who are obviously greater than that child. By any measure. And Abraham was greater than uh, Levi by a couple of generations. And he says, you can even think of Levi being in his father's genetic makeup, not yet born, but still collected under this inferiority, giving a tithe to an obviously superior agent. Now you have to stop and say, when you say, I have to think something, this is beyond dispute, I have to think something, see how great he is, I would like you to stop to think, not necessarily, I don't know much about Melchizedek, but I've got the list right here. <coughs> One of the things that we're going to want to get at is you becoming aware of what the superiority of Christianity is, not to Islam, not, we're not worried about you guys going off and taking the hajib and praying five times a day. The New Testament writers were not so concerned that somehow you'd run off after Baal or Apollo or some pagan god. That may happen. That may happen. Actual desertion of the faith. The concern is, because you will see the work of God in the Old Testament... I was in a conversation yesterday in which the person affirmed that God said this in the Old Testament and we can't dodge the matter. And I said, but the New Testament does. Do we believe the New Testament about the Old Testament? You need to know this to know what your religion is. What is the list of Jesus Christ's superiority over the law of Moses. Over Judaism. Because if righteousness were through the law, we'd have no need of grace. Christ died to no purpose. You didn't need it. You could just be good. Verse 11. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. Got this? You have Melchizedek? Better than Abraham. Abraham, pretty solid guy. Isaac, Jacob, Levi, the tribe of Levi, Aaron. The law came through that tribe, through Moses, because he was a Levite as well. Now, if perfection were attainable through the Levitical priesthood, if the way they did it in the temple worked, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Because the order of Aaron, again, has been established. Melchizedek's floating back here in time immemorial without genealogy, without nationality, without Hebraisms, but just superiority, just the king of righteousness, just the king of peace, just the father of the Jews being submissive to him. 
So you have to admit not only what it is, but why it is needful. Why would we talk about the coming Melchizedekian priesthood in the Christ, in the Messiah, if we were just fine with Aaronic priests? And how things were done in the temple. For one of whom these things, for the one of whom these things are spoken, belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. He's hinting at Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, what tribe? Judah. Judah. Nothing about the priesthood ever referenced to Judah. From which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. So if we want to follow Jesus Christ, we've got to somehow deal with that the priesthood and the sacrifices and the priestly effort are all tribe of Levi, our Messiah, tribe of Judah. What are we going to do? How is he going to benefit us and benefit us in a bigger way? Not by us saying, okay, Jesus, you're fine. Your teaching is good. You've been wise about this. Let's but, but for our religious observances, we've got to have some ironic priests, some Levitical priests. <clears throat> now, I would like you to think about that in terms of, I, do I have a list? When I was dating Leslie, my mother, and maybe she encouraged some of you to do this as well, encourage you to make a list about pros and cons about Evan. Now, I don't, don't want you to make a list of pros and cons about me. She did. That's history. I, got, I passed the exam, not with great grades, but passed it. But you may have done that before, made a list, or you thought about two cars. Well, what's better about this one, better about that one? Well, this one's real sporty and really cool. That's a minivan. You end up with the minivan, trust me. Because the wife wants the minivan because babies. You make a list. Make a list about your faith. Why am I? Because otherwise, otherwise, there's going to be some religious, pretentious bits of nonsense that come roaring into your life when you're at some low ebb of spirituality and it promises you better Christianity if you would just go into this. You've got to know what you're doing. You've got to know what Christianity you're about. This is something that is better than priestcraft at the best possible level. The Aaronic priesthood had the most biblical warrant. God made it. God chose the descendants of Levi to be his priests the year of the Exodus. How can you beat that? You beat that by being greater than Abraham. And having that greaterness, when it is observed, be higher in kind. It's a priest of father, uh, king of righteousness, king of peace, without beginning of days and end of life, continuing a priest forever. This becomes verse, verse 15. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not according to legal requirement concerning bodily descent. That's why it said neither father nor mother, 
or genealogy or beginning of days or end of life. There's no bodily descent giving Melchizedek the merit. But by the power of an indestructible life. That's the qualification. In Christianity, the priesthood is the Melchizedekian priest. And two people hold it. Melchizedek and Jesus Christ. Not the pastor. Not Pope Francis. Nobody gets this. Nobody gets to be... You can call yourself a priest all you want, but you've got to come up with a different priesthood because indestructible life is the qualification. For it is witnessed of him thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want you to understand that we're not the ugly Irish stepchild of Judaism. We're not the cheap Japanese knockoff of a real religion. When we stepped into Jesus Christ and we stepped by faith away from the law, it's a huge, both philosophic and theological and a historic moment. Something greater had come. Something that showed that the old covenant was a waste. Now, you say, you say that's a little harsh, Evan. I, I like to have my Ten Commandments on the refrigerator so my kids can grow up with, you know, the law around them. Let's continue reading here, verse 18. On the one hand, our former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Do you understand what we're about? Do you understand how important, why Paul went to the mattresses on grace all the time? Because, not because Islam was coming up. Occasionally there'd be some anti-Gnostic stuff, but he was really tussling with Judaism that had the biggest claim, and consistently the biggest claim in Christian churches today, to reintroduce the law as a means of righteousness. To reintroduce the law as the guide to your services. It was set aside because it's weakness and uselessness. Have you, have you found, if you make this list about your Jesus Christ, the one you serve, the one you call Lord, and is he greater than all other things by a good stretch? Is he by nature greater? Have you actually found that superiority to be actual and so in your life? Because what happens when you don't find Jesus Christ to be so in your life, but you still want to be religious? You start reading the Old Testament, and it sounds so holy. And God, God did it. God made the law. God wrote the law. But if you read the New Testament, you find he didn't write it for you to live by it. Because life is not through the law. Only condemnation is through the law. 
don't try to make a new religion where you get to have your Jesus and your Old Testament priesthood. Don't try to have a religion where you get to have Jesus for any time you really desperately, because you flubbed it badly, need grace. But otherwise, you're going to teach your kids to be little prigs and, and, and you know, half-wits about religion. Or you're going to go back to what is weak and useless. Because that's where people want to go. They, because when they made the list, they don't think that Jesus Christ looks more godly than faithful observance of the Ten Commandments. They think that if you had the Ten Commandments and an Aaronic priesthood serving at an altar of the living God in Jerusalem, how many Christians do you think would throw Christianity over the edge and go back to Judaism? You know, the real problem is the Dome of the Rock, there's a mosque there at the site of the temple. That's been a little bit of a problem, as you know, there are easily inflamed people. And uh, if the Jews said, oh, we're going to tear down the Dome of the Rock and put up the temple, or just even the altar to Yahweh, again, and they dug around in the records and found some ironic descendant to offer the sacrifices, I know Christians who would think that was just as good as, might as well go that way. They could be that way for one reason or another, theologically, <clears throat> but it's because they don't believe Jesus Christ is greater than this. And Jesus Christ is greater than this. And the superiority is being argued, and not just the superiority like, oh, you know, these guys were really a great football team back in the 80s, and now we got another great football team, you know, it's like Denver, the Seahawks, or something like that. And, Used to be the Steelers, used to be the Colts, used to be Dallas. Kind of a used to be Judaism, now it's Christianity. There's kind of a baton race, you hand it off the baton. And if you want to run backwards around the track a little bit, that's fine. Doesn't win any races, but you know, everybody, everybody's got, we all worship the same God. Oh, maybe. But God wants to be known this way. Verse 20. Remember, this is a better hope through which we draw near to God. That is weak and useless. Those should be your phrases. What do you do with the law? Uh, it's weak and useless. What about the Ten Commandments? Did I just say weak and useless? But I like the Ten Commandments. Well done. Weak and useless. It says that in Ephesians. He is abolished. <coughs> The law with its commandments and ordinances. That's how we find closeness to God. You say, Evan, you're sounding like you're going to just let people be cannibals and run around naked. No. We follow Jesus Christ. You go where Jesus Christ leads you, I'll be happy. You go where the Holy Spirit of God leads you, I'll be happy. I don't think you'll show up at church naked. If you want to show up to church naked, you will. But if the, if the Holy Spirit leads you, Jesus Christ leads you, you won't. It's a better hope, 
and it draws near to God. It's not a nearer way for you to be you and actualize your own potential. It is for you to do what God wants. The law was weak and useless. Accept the definition. Do you understand how great he is? Have you recognized it? Have you felt that superiority in your own walk? It's when you do not feel the walk of Jesus Christ in your life, you will end up replacing it with pretentious religion. We are not priest-free. I make this point on the side here. We are not priest-free because of the Reformation. Okay? We all know Roman Catholic Church big on priests. It's not because of Martin Luther, not because of John Calvin, or Zwingli, or some of the lesser known names, like Melanchthon. We don't have priests because we have one priest, Jesus Christ. That's why we don't have priests. That was true in the 300s, it was true in the 1500s, it's true now. You do not have priests because you have one priest. It's through him. It's not, it's not an avoidance of priestliness. Now, I think there are dear Christians in churches that have priests. You know, I, I, I have a nephew-in-law who's a priest in the Church of England. They call them priests over there. Sometimes in Lutheran circles they call them priests. You know, some dear believers... They're wrong. And it's, but it's not just because, it's not because All Souls Christian with its 40 people in pews doesn't want to have smells and bells, doesn't like little choir boys and, uh, with the little th- little dresses on, lighting candles. It's not because of a preference artistically. Artistically, I would like that. Frankly, I'd like stained glass windows and two lines of singers on either side and candles and a procession and me in a fancy hat. I'd like that. But I respect Jesus Christ to the faith too much. It's not what we are. That's all a pretense to try to make me feel like I've got religion. This was not without an oath, verse 20. Those who formerly became priests took their office without an oath. But this, was, this one was addressed with an oath. This is that verse, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The first half of the line is, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever. This makes Jesus the surety of a better covenant. It's permanent. Doesn't matter how long you live in the Christian life, you've got Jesus Christ as a priest. Why would you look at anybody like Evan or some other Yahoo that went to seminary and knows all the little shucks and jives the religious type make and can do the magic to the host? Why would you do that? You have Jesus Christ. And he promised swearing God swore this was never going to change so you can be sure that this better covenant notice that 
It's not the same covenant. You're not the same covenant as Abraham. To the degree Abraham had faith, that side of Abraham that was operating on faith, that was that thread of the covenant that was coming. But it wasn't fully formed. He didn't know what he was having faith in. But it was that faith that bore witness to what we were going to encounter. But all the religion of the Jews, all the priestcraft, all the law, that's the old covenant. And we've got a better one. Do you believe we have a better one? If you do not believe that Jesus Christ's priesthood and the life by faith is a better covenant, if by the time you turn your middle age and you have about four kids who are really at that point where you're really concerned about you know, what Phil was talking about, the anxiety for your children, there's a real temptation to want to get all religion on them. I don't care what shape it takes. You should really be shaping it after Jesus Christ. It's a better covenant. Now, the former priests, and I skipped over this passage before I go on any further. I want to point the verse out that I, I missed talking about back in verse 12. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. What's the different law you are under? Jesus Christ represents a priesthood different than the Aaronic priesthood. What law, what religion is he representing? How do you live ethically before Jesus Christ? Because we're not just saying, no Jewish law, party time. No Jewish law, but the law of my master, the law of my religion, the new law that came with this better covenant, what's it? It is on, you might say, not law. It's the law of love, it's called in one place. The law of liberty, it is called in another. The law of Christ, it is called in another. You have a new law in this priesthood. Believe what you were given in this new covenant. Begin to jot down to yourself in your mind the superiority of this new covenant. How much better is it? The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Not that you say, well, Jesus did die. He does, his priesthood didn't die. Well, none of those priests died in the permanent sense. They all lived forever. If you had an earthly priest in your religion and he died, he would still be alive in the next life. But he wouldn't be priest in the next life. Because that religion doesn't go into the next life. What you make in a highly liturgical church into a religion doesn't continue after death. The <coughs> you can't serve. Excuse me. <coughs> they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Because the temple was on earth and the liturgy was on earth and the, and, and the sacrifices were on earth and he couldn't claim up there in glory to still be a priest Christ can claim to be a priest still he's able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him it doesn't ever change God swore an oath the nature of it doesn't change Christ functions as a priest forever 
Now, <clears throat> wherever you are, and I'm not trying to, you know, again, like I said, there's dear believers you know, that you, have, you should have good fellowship with and welcome because your heart is open to other believers just because you love them and just because they have Christ. But that doesn't mean they haven't forgotten this importance. I know too many Christians who seem not to have read the New Testament. They think because they want to be moral, the Old Testament's the place to hang out. A lot more rules. Yes, there are. They've forgotten. For some, it's somebody, somebody's insistence, some kind of insistence. They don't just forget Jesus, but somebody started, well, what do you think about the Sabbath? It's one of the ten. And then you see all the commands about the Sabbath in the Old Testament. You go, whoa. And somebody leans on you. Better keep the Sabbath. And by the way, switch it to Sunday. How do you do that? You know, it's not Sunday. It's Saturday. I don't keep the Sabbath. I esteem all days the same. But uh, it is Saturday. It's amazing how insistent they become and then change the rule because that's the way they like it. There's also the possibility of pretension. And I've told you this last week, I think it was, in coming to know Christ or having kind of the religion that is based on your knowledge of Christ, your being in Christ. You will not get any glory. Your Christian life will not have the motor under it that gets people going in religion. You won't get a big group. You will not get um, recognized. And so consequently, the temptation to play more religion than we've been given comes on us. We want people to measure it some way. Now, for it was fitting, verse 26, that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. I never, in my religion, it's called, as I like to put it, I belong to an ancient Near Eastern religion that is pretty broadly known but not often practiced. My religion, and I trust your religion, we never have to worry because we pushed men to the front of it and said, he's the grand poobah. Because what happens? The pastor runs off with the piano player which is why we've arranged it this way. We got married before, so that when we run off together, it'll be okay. It's, just, it's embarrassing, right? Because, but, but my high priest is holy, blameless, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those other high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. I, it's such a greater sacrifice, such a greater priesthood, 
that when someone tries to sell you the old cheap Japanese knockoff, you should just smile and say, you've got to be kidding me. Religion is better than this. We have no need. You always have to admit that your pastors are flawed men. Not in any of my views. I want to reassure you, they are all correct. Absolutely, Ben. That's going to go on the recording. Who's Ben? <laughs> I suspect some of you disagree with me on some points. And it comforts you to know I'm flawed. Maybe that's why you like it. Say, you have an idiot. But you can't go that, you can't lean back in your pew, yeah, Jesus is an idiot. You can't do that, right? Jesus, ah, what was he thinking? King of righteousness, king of peace. Living forever. Flawless life, blameless, dying for the sins of everybody. What's he thinking? No, you can't do that. Even the atheists have a little bit of trouble. They want to somehow grab Jesus. Wow, he was a great man. No, he wasn't, if you think what you're thinking. Everybody wants Jesus. Not everybody wants every pope. Not everybody wants Evan Wilson as a pastor. Any pastor. Jesus Christ has a much better reputation. Indeed, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Everything else, every institution we create, from all souls to the Anglican Church, the United Methodist Church, doesn't matter what church it is, everybody else is appointed in their weaknesses. On your religion, your discovery ought to be, how great is he? How much greater is this path to righteousness than that path to righteousness? If I haven't found this new priest, I haven't found the new law. Do you want to? Do you want to have a law that is based entirely on what the Holy Spirit has done to you? That he has made you a loving agent, so you're going to do nice things to others. Do you want that or would you rather have a list of rules you can put on the fridge? And kids, no lying. That's much. I feel better. Okay, no cussing. You got to go to church on Sunday. What else is there? Don't run off with the piano player. Um, don't bear false witness. That means don't lie. But you should like those, right? A little order in the home. Don't want to rock into that house and just have some hippie with the word love on the refrigerator. What are they thinking? Very similar to Christianity, actually. Very similar to Christianity. Now, I don't think, especially when they put paisleys in it, you don't want to pay any attention to their idea of love. But love is it. This is the law of love. It fulfills everything that God requires for you. And it is found in Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit by faith alone. That's what we've got to find. And priestcraft is not that path. He's been made perfect forever. 
an oath supported it. And then this last two verses, the first two verses of chapter 8. Why did I put those in? Why didn't I just stop at the end of chapter 7? You say, Evan, the, the sermon was long enough. I know it doesn't get any shorter, but it was long enough. Well, look at what it says. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. I, I, I don't think I could have trimmed that off. I mean, you say, Evan, I'm not sure you got the point entirely. Well, I'd like to have the writer of Hebrews tell you what the point is. We have such a high priest, one who was seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tent, which is set up not by man, but by the Lord. That's the point. Your religion stands in heaven. Any kind of revisiting earthly tabernacles, priesthoods, laws, has made a big mistake. When it told you in chapter 6, the foundation that was laid is repentance from dead works and faith towards God. That's the foundation. This was the point we should have discovered Jesus Christ initially. That dead works didn't work. Not repentance from awful sins. That's what you usually think, right? I know you should repent from those. Say you were like a complete, you know, a bad person. Yeah, you have to repent of all your sins. But here in this book, the question is, are you going to repent of your dead works? We're stepping away from a priesthood and a law. We're stepping to a true priest, a true tabernacle, a law of love. It's a different and higher and better religion than that which was weak and useless. We've repented of dead works. We take faith towards God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are grateful that this new covenant in your Son, this new covenant of a higher priesthood, a greater worship, things in heaven, not things on earth. Thank, not things that we can set up, but that we just recognize and adore. We'd ask that we'd become more and more aware of the greatness of our faith. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.